hosts, Patrick Harian, Michael Imami, and Logan Franz. One hour of nonstop sports starts right now. And good morning, Columbia, and welcome to another edition of The Hot Corner. I'm your host, Patrick Harian, and alongside me is Michael Imami and Logan Franz. Baseball, postseason, full swing, Nationals took that NLCS for the first time in franchise history. Meanwhile, in the American League, Astros took a commanding 3-1 lead. What do you guys think so far? I don't want to be the guy that says, I told you so, but um, I'm going to say that's, I told you so. Hey, I, was, um, I was that guy last week. Okay? Hey, you know what, man? I just want to make something very, very clear here. With the Nationals, I kind of always knew that this was going to be a team that if they could just get their you know ducks in order here, uh, line in order here, they'd be a championship team. But the talent wasn't executing. When the talent started executing, boom, they became that team that I think we all kind of knew what would happen here. But it was interesting because the one thing that I want to point out here, the Nationals and the Detroit Tigers had the same record. I believe it was June 14th. And the Tigers went 47 and 115 and the Nationals won 93 games. And so that to me is how quickly a season can turn around for a team is it's how you make of your roster with what you've got. And I think that I said, don't give up on them just yet. I don't think they're going to sell. And lo and behold, they win like 20 of their next 25 games and they go on this incredible hot streak that never ends. And they are the best team in baseball since May. And I will tell you, I'm going to be the guy that says it right here. I saw it coming and I'm proud of it. And I'm rooting for this team all the way now. It's going to be fun. See, that team has all the pieces of a team that deserves to be in the World Series. Oh, that absolutely. pitching staff is so good. Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer. That team, when they were that bad in May, I didn't expect that at all. I think that, as I said, the problem was with the execution, not with the talent that they had. That was my problem with it. This has been a postseason of firsts for the Washington Nationals. Their first World Series appearance, as you said, and also their first sweep in the franchise's history, which I thought was a really big thing for them. I mean, they're known for uh, choking in the month of October. They are. They have a history. You know, seeing a team like that play good, it's it's a great feeling. Like, there is no team that deserves a World Series as much as the Nationals. I mean, yeah, I also think that, you know, they, they still got a, you know, a team they got to get through, whether it be the Yankees or the Astros. But I just want to say that, I mean, I think we all kind of knew that it was going to come down to, you know, the two best pitching staffs. And it sure is looking like the Astros are have a chance to seriously uh, take this thing home in the next game. But I think that if we see, you know, uh, you know, a Strasburg, Scherzer, Corbin matchup versus Garrett Cole, Zach Greinke, Justin Verlander, I think that will just everything will come to fruition there because I think we all kind of knew that these were the two most impactful bullpens other than the LA Dodgers. And so this, this is something to me that would just make sense. And it does. Like if, if, if I'm looking at it from a, a, a fan's point of view, you want to see that nationals Astros world series. I want to see Garrett Cole taking on Max Scherzer, right? That is like the dream scenario. That's the dream World Series for anybody. And and I think that, you know, this World Series is going to be again between two teams. And, you know, I got to tell you, I just want to say this. I don't think I've been this excited about baseball in a very long time. 
I, I, I can just, I can feel something happening here between these two organizations. It's going to be fun. You know, I could see this going, if they two, if those two play each other, I could see this going seven games. I could see this going the distance. It is going to be one heck of a World Series. And this is not necessarily about a rooting interest. This is just good, great baseball between two talented organizations that are going to, you know, really, really prove it coming up between the, you know, if it'd be the Yankees who could make a three-game comeback or the Astros who win it, who I think is going to happen. I think this is going to be fun either way. Like, I, I want to take this time. And just say, what a story for Howie Kendrick. What a story, man. NLCS MVP, guy who came off of a bad injury, coming back, showing up in in the playoffs. Like, you can't name. Like, the, this team has all the storylines. It has coming off of a 19-31 and 31 start, a comeback year from how, for Howie Kendrick in the postseason, an unproven manager finally showing that he can manage a team well and can right. manage a team to a World Series like everyone thought he could. Right. There's there's no team in baseball right now that has that storyline. And that's why it's just so nice to see finally right. the team that everyone's rooting for to make it. Coming into the series, I was kind of thinking mostly that whoever came out of the series was just going to get beat by whoever comes out of the AL. But after the Nationals and their dominant performance, I could definitely see them actually giving the Astros or the Yankees a run for their money, 100%. You know who the Nationals remind me of, of all teams? And I, and I don't want to say this like crazy, but I'll tell you. Remember the Blues last year where we kind of said... You know, I, I made that parallel last right. week, so... I'll, I, yeah, I'm going to give you credit for it because you were right. Yeah, give and, me credit. And, yeah, Patrick, Patrick Harrion with, uh, with the uh, parallel. Um, but I want to say this, and you were right, and I liked it a lot because I completely agree with you. They're just that team that you kind of are like, you know what? They have something magical to them. It's not quite like devil magic like we talked about, but there's something weird about it. Like, you can't just look at talent in regards to this. There's something else that they have. They have like a charm or a spark or something like that. I mean, Howie, Howie Kendrick hitting game-winning grand slams in Los Angeles in Game 5. Like, that's not something that we would expect as as baseball fans. Like, But that stuff just happens, and it's crazy. But that's the Nationals right now. Yeah, it's, it's like when you – like I said last week about the Blues, right? It's like Howie Kendrick. I don't. I don't know if this parallel really works, but the way he's been playing, it's like Jordan Biddington wasn't a goal. Right. It's crazy. You and can't that team explain got it. Hot because of it. You can't explain it. Can't explain it at all. It's just downright insane. This is just baseball at its craziest, and you gotta love it. That's just what baseball's about. So right now we're gonna switch to the American League. As you know, Astros came out to. A 8-3 win last night, and they are currently at a 3-1 lead over the Yankees. Now, we've seen teams blow 3-1 leads before, right? but I don't know if this team can. I, I think the Astros have it in the bag, and I hate saying that because I'm going to make it the jinx, the bad jinx that everyone is going to make money for if it does happen, which I'm about 99% sure it won't. Right. But it's, it's the Astros' series to lose. What's the latest update for CC Sabathia? Because I know oh, he left yeah, that was a game big story last night. in the eighth for the Yankees, and that's going to be a huge blow if they can't get him back, even just for one more game. It looks, it looked, from what I've heard, is they're going to replace his uh, role in the ALCS roster, so he's oh, going to be boy. off the team for now. But he'll still be there. He's just not going to be playing. One thing that I think I, I, you know, he was getting the standing ovation as he was walking off the field with the trainer. He was fighting, if you notice, with the trainers as he was uh, leaving the mound. He didn't want to leave. 
And um, I was almost on the verge of, of tears. And I, I saw that they looked at the dugout. They panned over. The cameras did. And you could see Garrett Cole just sitting there, his eyes getting watery. And there was a tear coming down of his cheek. This guy is a childhood hero for a lot of these MLB players. He's been around a long time. He's been in this league. He's, he's provided himself as an example for a lot of the young guys who want to come in and be like him. And it was just really, really, really sad to see him go off like that last night. But it was a beautiful thing to watch him come off the mound. Everybody just standing and applauding him. Because the Yankee fans, you know, you could say what you want about the Yankees. You could hate them. You could love them, whatever. But those fans know their baseball. And they appreciate, regardless of whether they were losing badly last night and their lack of offensive production, they appreciate who that man is and what he did for that organization and what he did for baseball. And that's something to be said about that. It's incredible. Also, just as a competitor, when your season's on the line like that, you want to be able to give your all for the team. You want to be able to be there for your team. And someone like CC Spathia is just, he's not going to go down easy. And he wants to be able to fight for his team and keep their season alive. Right. You you never want to be told that you can't throw anymore. Right. As someone who played baseball before, like when I came into realization that... I may not be able to play for forever. It's like, no, I, yeah, I, I want to keep playing. And it hurts. when someone tells you you can't anymore, like in that case for Sabathia, he's retiring after this year. To be taken out of a game on an injury, it's it's the worst way to go. And the other thing is, is that it's not just like, you know, him. It's also his, his charm, his personality that he's brought to that organization. I think he's going to continue to do that whether or not he's pitching or not. And I think he's just going to be as vocal as he was on the mound as he is in that locker room. And I think that's something that the Yankees need. They, they not only need a competitor and a guy out on the field, but they also need a guy in that locker room that's going to really fire the guys up. And if CC can't fill the role again on the mound, what he's going to do, I feel like, is he's going to be play that locker room role that we kind of saw with you know Jason Hayward in 2016. Cubs were also a team that were down 3-1 in the World Series who came back to win. And so I think that the Yankees are really kind of exploring themselves right now, and they're going to find out in this next game who they really are as a team. they got their backs against the wall in the ALCS. they got an opportunity here to really, really make something out of it. And we saw last night uh, George Springer hitting that home run, devastating. The Yankees had the lead in that game, and it's just unfortunate because, you know, if you're the Yankees pitching staff, you kind of need a spark right now. You're you're giving up big home runs. You're giving up big plays. And it's just kind of hard to kind of get that feeling of it. So I think CC Zabathia is going to be a big role in the locker room if we don't see him on the mound again. And that's going to be something that's going to be huge. They're going to need that role, and they also need to start hitting. Right. That team can't hit. And that's can't. very surprising because what did they do to get here? They hit. I mean, their starters were, were good, but it wasn't, like, awesome. I mean, they hit for average. They hit for power. This is the Yankees, and if the Yankees can't do what they've done all season, like we saw in essence with the Twins, it's going to be harder for them to overcome, you know, a lot of the problems that they've had in this series. And if I think they they got to show how they got there, they got to come back to it. Yeah, I was just going to draw that same parallel that you did with the Twins. If you're hitting, that's great, but that's not going to be, that's not a catch-all. You need to be able to have right. both sides in order to actually succeed. And we saw that when the Yankees swept the Twins. Right, and. And I'll, I'll just take a moment here. Along with the problems at the plate, four errors in a game is inexcusable. Yeah. You're a professional yeah. baseball team. Well, even even when you make one error, it's, you, can, you can get by with one error. But four? Come on. I mean, we saw Houston make a couple, right? I mean, there was one you know that was hit to the third baseman, and it just kind of went underneath his glove. I think it was uh, Bregman that missed it. And it was just kind of... You know, I, I feel like it was something more along the lines of, I don't want to make a, a statement, general statement about the field here, but like it felt like we just saw sloppy play all over the place last night. Like, because a lot of the routine grounders that we think could be made, could be made play, plays off of, that didn't happen. 
So I feel like there's always something to be said about, you know, whether it be the field conditions or the baseball when there's, you know, you see two teams kind of making similar mistakes. But again, you know, you're right. They're a professional baseball team. Those things have to be limited. And four errors in a game is inexcusable regardless. So those have to be limited. But, you know, sloppy play, I think, is one thing. But hitting is another thing. Because you can overcome sloppy play if you're a decent hitting team that hits for, you know, power and average. And if the Yankees can't do that, then I don't think they have any business being anywhere near winning this series, period. And, and they've, shown doesn't matter they, how many, they've shown that they really can't right. do that this series. And that's unfortunate for them because, you know, again, I'll say this. They, they use that to get here. And if they can't use what they had done all season like the Twins did, as Logan had brought up, that's going to be problematic for them if they're going to win the series. And that's why I think they need a spark in that locker room. They need somebody to fire these guys up. Hey, guys, we need to go back to the drawing board and figure out what we need to do to get back in the series. And that's hitting. We need to go back to who we were. We need to find our identity in this playoffs. And it's going to be hard for them to do that because they're going to be going against Justin Verlander. Right. But Verlander's shown that he's not, no longer infallible. He's not the same guy that you know was there two years ago. We saw that series against the Rays where he was knocked out of the game, I think, in the fourth inning after giving a home run to Tommy Pham. I mean, Verlander's capable of making mistakes. Yeah, I mean, but when you're up... Saw young guy, but he's still... 3-1. I know. When you have Verlander thrown in the 3-1 game, 3-1 series... Right. It's going to be very hard to win. Right. Also, everyone's capable of making mistakes. It's just the ones that are good at it, like Verlander, do it less than the others. And I, I, don't, I don't see him being taken out of the game early. I will stand by that statement. Okay. You, you can All quote right. me on it. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that I think that's going to happen. I'm just saying it's possible. Because if the Rays could get out of it and do, you know, that was in game four. If the Rays, you know, he was up there with the lead in that series. Granted, he was on the road, but he was up there with the lead in that series. And he had the upper hand. And he kind of blew the game. And he was out in the early innings. And I remember Tommy Pham going up there hitting bombs. And, you know, they had Jim and Choi in there. The Rays were able to do things that we saw off of Verlander that, you know, lessened my confidence in him a little bit. And I think that it shows as a baseball team, like, you know, you got to jump on him early. And if you do that, I think Verlander becomes, you know, his performance deteriorates through the period of innings. And I think that as an offense, if you provide that spark, he's going to have a harder time getting back in the game. I think the only scenario in which he actually comes out of this game before the sixth, maybe even before the seventh, is if he's clearly not himself. I really don't think if he's like 90% of what Verlander normally right. is, he'll he'll probably go 6 and possibly even 7. Again, I'm not saying that I, I don't think he's I think he's gonna, that's going to happen. I'm just saying that there's always a possibility that that could happen. And if the Yankees are anything reminiscent of what the Rays were doing in that game, I'll tell you, he's going to have a really really hard time. And that's what the Yankees need to do. They need to jump on his early pitches, need to make him uncomfortable early on because it seems as if when we saw that of the postseason when he's not on a roll, he has a really hard time getting back in it. And that's not reminiscent of who he was in his career, but it's who he is right now. You're going to need the approach you're going to have to have at the plate if if you're the Yankees is slow, slow, huh. Whew. swing at first pitch. You got to yeah. you got to look for first pitch strikes. You can't sit back, take a pitch, and once you take a pitch, when Verlander has an 0-1 grip on you, it's hard. And I mean, that team needs to start hitting. And there's no other way to start hitting to be more aggressive at the plate. 
that's not something that we're seeing a lot in the playoff in the postseason, though. Like, I feel like I've had an issue with every team not swinging at the first pitch on occasion. I mean, this is something that I've had an issue with the MLB. It's like you, you guys have got to be more aggressive. I think we have we have teams playing far too conservatively right now, whether it be that they're scared or they you know they they, they want to save it for later on. I feel like from the get-go, every team needs to be out there and say, you know what, I'm swinging at first pitch. I'm going to be going out there, mentality, aggressive, and fighting for this. And that's what I think the Astros have done a little bit. And that's what I think the Nationals did. And I think the Yankees have got to start doing it too. Yeah, I think, need to. I think being aggressive is a good place to start. The end-all, be-all is it's tough to pull yourself out of a 3-1 hole and you never want to be there. Right. But if there's any team that I believe can do it, it's the Yankees. Yeah. And they, we've seen it a lot. Yes, exactly. They have they have the pitching. Their bullpen, whether it be a, has been a little shaky-ish sometimes during the season during the series, they have all the pieces of a team that can pull a 3-1 upset. Right. But the way they've been playing now, I don't think it's happening at all. No I mean, chance. You can you can say that and you know, we don't know what happens, you know, until we we actually see it. But I will say, and I'll make this statement again, same thing with the Cubs. We didn't think that, you know, the Cubs would, you know, make that comeback being in the hole 3-1 against the Indians, but they did. And so that's where I will say this again. They need, you know, somebody, you know, a charm or a spark to really fire up that clubhouse and to say, guys, we need to go back to the drawing board. And I think if they have that personality in there, I think that's going to fire up this team because there is nothing more important than having that one guy, the one voice in the locker room that inspires everybody to get together and to light a fire under what's been happening right now. And if they get that hitting back together with that inspiration, they could become very, very dangerous. Yeah, you can speak in certainties all you want, but I really don't think the Yankees of all teams are the ones you want to be counting out right now. They've been here before. They know how they need to fight back, and I wouldn't... I picked the Astros last week, and I'm still standing by that, obviously. But I don't think it's fair to just count them out just yet. It's not. Yeah. A, it's not out of the realm of possibility that it can happen. I'm just saying the odds of it happening are extremely slim, especially with Verlander on the mound tonight. Right, right. But I mean, anything can happen at the playoffs. So, all right, we're gonna head off the break. We come back, recap in Thursday night football and our big three games in the NFL. Listen, Hot Corner on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. On Sundays at 11 a.m., it's the weekly walkthrough. Join Ethan Salm and Nick Catlin as they discuss the biggest and most important sports news of the week. Tune in right here on KCOU 88.1 FM on KCOU.FM or find the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching for the weekly walkthrough. Follow us on Twitter at Weekly Walk KCOU and be sure to tune in on Sundays at 11 a.m. for all the latest in sports. No, no wing, That's only my Missouri Tigers football and men's and women's basketball on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU Sports is brought to you by El Rancho. Located at 1014 East Broadway, El Rancho provides themselves in serving up fresh and authentic Mexican food. To look at their menu and learn more, go to www.columbiamomexicanfood.com. Thank you, El Rancho, for supporting KCOU 88.1 FM, the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. Don't forget, every Saturday this fall is a KCU Sports Saturday. 
Listen to your favorite KCU sports shows every Saturday, all day long. Catch No Huddle, Mizzou football, basketball, and more every Saturday. It's not just a Saturday, it's KCU Sports Saturday. Big news coming out of Thursday Night Football, Patrick Mahomes hurt. How does that make the Chiefs look this the rest of the season? This is not something that you want if you're a Chiefs fan. I'm just going to say that. I mean, granted, they did, you know, kill the Broncos last night, 30-6, to but this is not something that you want. Yeah, Rapport broke this morning that best-case scenario, it seems, for Mahomes is to be out three weeks. Now, that being said, you're not going to get the Broncos every week, but the Chiefs' defense looked fired up for this game. They had nine sacks throughout the game. They had a touchdown off of a fumble recovery, Reggie Ragland, scored that I don't want to say they've suddenly just changed because it is one game and it is against the Broncos but if they can keep that up and limit Matt Moore into what he needs to do they can find a way to win some of these games for the next few weeks okay I want to make this statement once here I did see a tweet from Therese A. Paler sports writer for the NFL we did see it He said, hearing early indications are that Patrick Moans has a dislocated knee, but at the moment it looks like it isn't fractured per source. MRI coming tomorrow when we'll know more, but it's a positive early sign. That tweet was sent last night. I feel like the biggest fear last night when we saw Mahomes go down was, oh my God, ACL, ACL, ACL. And it's really, really good that, you know, we're kind of straining away from that and we're just looking at it might be a couple weeks kind of thing. And so with that in mind, I feel like, and just from what we saw last night, that Chiefs defense stepped it up. Spagnolo, he he took the guys in and he was like, guys, we're down our starting quarterback. We need to start making some plays. And they made a ton of defensive plays. And I think we gave Moore a little bit too much credit for stepping in. I thought he did, you know, he was all right. He wasn't great. Played like a guy that didn't really have first team reps all week. But um, that Chiefs defense really, it really lit a fire into that Chiefs defense because they said, guys, We're down our starting quarterback. We got to score some points, and that's exactly what they did. Granted, it is Denver, but still, like, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders and, you know, I mean, it's just, they're they're not an awful team. They're not. They're they're probably one of the better ones to have started 0-4, and they now are 2-5. But also, I just want to make a kind of a side note. Did anyone else think that Matt Moore retired, like, three years ago? Yeah. It's, It's simply a name I'm not familiar with at all. Right. I mean, the first word that were the first thing that came to mind when I heard more, I kept thinking of Kellen Moore because I remember in person seeing Kellen Moore start in Dallas against Washington at a game. And so I remember, you know, that that name more resonates with me a little bit because I just remember seeing that happen. I was like, oh, here's a third string backup, you know, playing, trying to win. And I kind of thought about that when I saw more playing last night. But um, yeah, I mean, he he kind of came in here. I'll credit to him. You know, he wasn't awful. For a guy that didn't have any first-team reps and was just thrown into this mess, he, he kind of held down the fort pretty well. But I'd say credit to Steve Spagnolo and that Chiefs defense, man. I mean, they they were like, you know what, guys? We don't have a starter. We got to score some points. <laughs> they, they have fumble recovery, you know, just playing so aggressively, getting sacks. Flacco didn't even stand a chance. I mean, yeah. that was just crazy. Yeah, the defense scored a touchdown. Mahomes scored a touchdown while he was still in the game. And... Matt Moore also threw a touchdown. Right. So they've scored points in a lot of ways, and that's exactly what you want to do. Now, Matt Moore isn't going to be able to hold down the fort by himself for three weeks. Oh, yeah, obviously. But this defensive performance was definitely something to look forward to if you're a Chiefs fan. Especially if they can keep it up when Mahomes comes in. I'm always one to make fun of the Chiefs defense, calling it Swiss cheese and all that. But, I mean, I was very surprised last night. 
Like when I when I look at that defense, I'm like, yeah, they improved a little bit in the offseason. They're, they're no longer the worst. They're more like, you know, a 27th ranked defense. I mean, that's still bad. I I I'd give them more credit than that. Okay, 25th. Okay. <laughs> I'd say like 20th, 18th, maybe. I don't think they're awful. I just think that, you know, they're not great, but I think they're, you know, they're a little bit close to average. I'd say they're regress or they're, you know, progressing towards, you know, becoming better. They're well coached. Who are you putting below them? I'm curious if you're putting 12 teams below them. I don't think they're, I look, I feel like the chiefs right now have last year. They've, they've definitely improved. I would say that. And then to be fair, I feel like I would not call a Steve Spagnola ran defense 27th. And the way they played last night, I feel like they showed who they really were. I mean, Steve Spagnola wasn't even always great with the Giants. He had some He's good a moments, good defensive coach. He's smart. And he is, I think that last year you saw that problem because they had the talent. They had the pieces there, but they couldn't draw plays up with it. They they couldn't accurately make sure that everybody reaches their full potential because the, they were so mismanaged last year. But when you brought Spagnolo in, that kind of was fixed. But there were talented, the talent on that Chiefs defense, a lot of those guys were lost to free agency. But I feel like to say that a Chiefs defense, you know, I, granted Kendall Fuller was out last night um, and they were trading between him and Bashad Breeland, which I'm not going to get into why I find that funny, but... Um, because we made we an agreement, but still, I, I think that, you know, Bashar Breeland, he wasn't bad. I, I have a tendency to, you know, underrate him a lot because just I'm slightly biased when it comes to Bashad Breeland, but um, he played all right. He had a pass interference call and a holding call, but I mean, he, he held down the fort pretty well. Yeah, I never And thought, I think, I don't think they're bad. I never thought Bashad Breeland was like super terrible, but I understand your position on it. I'm not going to get into it, but regardless, I'm not ready to crown the Chiefs defense just yet. I think we need to see this for a few more weeks. It's definitely promising, but again, it is the Broncos. You know, Garrett Bowles loves to hold. This offensive line isn't the greatest, so I'm not crowning them. I'm just sustained. saying they're not 27th. I'm I, not. I'm not crowning them at all. I don't think they're awesome. I just think that they're not bad. I think 27th is bad. That's fifth worst in the league. I think the yeah, jury's still out on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think. One game against the Broncos is going to change that. All right. Well, Joe we have Flag opportunities to prove that theory correct. We have opportunities. There's still a lot of weeks left in, in, in the year. Right. So, but I mean, up until this game, their defense just kind of like has just been there. Yeah. I want to go back to they haven't made any any big plays that to make me go like, you know what? Maybe this team turned it around. But they're deep. I'm this. This is an anomaly. This game. I, I believe it's an anomaly. Yeah. I want to go back to who exactly you're putting. Below them, maybe the Redskins and the Dolphins. I'd say 100. percent Dolphins then, the worst team. Yeah, right now. And then and maybe no, no debate. The Cardinals. Like I don't know who else you're putting below them exactly. I mean, that defense. Jets are good. You could put Oakland below them, maybe. Right. Maybe, but Oakland stepped it up in the past couple of games. Um, Houston. They've or excuse me, Indianapolis is decent, right? So, Minnesota maybe. Are we still talking about defenses you're putting below KC? Because Minnesota's much better than KC is. I don't know if they're that much better. They're a lot better. They have they have a pro bowler and potentially an all pro at every level. All right, all right. Of that defense. All right, I'll make a deal. I'll make a deal with you guys. All right. Small sample size. All right. Small sample size. And we got we to see something here. And so right now, I'm not going to make a general statement on them. But last night, it looked like they turned it around. So... We'll see if that comes to fruition in the coming weeks. I'm just going to put that out there. They had a fire lit well, under we'll them. We'll hold you to it. We'll by, hold you well, to yeah, it. I'm just saying. Like, last night, and, and I mean, Denver's offense isn't, like, awful. 
Like they're not. I mean, they're respectable. I mean, it's not. They're not horrible. They have the personnel, but they do lack one very Here, important piece. Matt Moore. Last night, they won off a of defense. Come on. Yeah, I'm like I said. Starter I'm not- out. They were fantastic. Like I said, the jury's still out on them. I'm not going to say, oh, they're not one of those defenses, but I'm also not going to say they're one of those defenses. All right, all I'm right. just not ready to, after right. one game against a bad offense, all right. to just all of a sudden be like, hey, this defense is all of a sudden good now. All I right. want to see it sustain. That's fair. All right. Spagnolo, we'll give it a couple of weeks. We'll see how this pans out. All, all right. right. All right. Deal. We're, we're, we're going to go into our, our big three games. So we, as you know, we pick big three games that we think are going to be close and good. Our first one, Bears and Saints. Bears bringing back Mitchell Trubisky this week. I think it'll help their their offense a lot. Their defense has looked consistently good. Now, granted, that game against Oakland was just kind of terrible in all ways. You can you can try to blame it on jet lag, but I really think that they just they didn't perform, and that's the bottom line. It was a game they they have a tough stretch coming up. It was a game they couldn't let get away from them, and they did. No, that's that's been one of those games to look back at at the end of the season. You're like, you know, if we had to win one of these games. Why don't we beat the Raiders? Like, like the really? Dolphins won last year with Brock Osweiler as quarterback, and they lost in overtime. Hold on a second. Remember all those people that said that Chase Daniel was better than Mitchell Trubisky? Some of them Ow. are still saying it. Do they, they? Do they still exist? Because they still do. They I felt still do. like I felt like we kind of had the opportunity to kind of really see that, and we kind of all knew that he wasn't, and then he just showed on every level that he wasn't. It it was reminiscent it's, of. Jay Cutler, and that's for one reason. It was because of the backbreaking Jay pick Cutler. in the last. It, it was. Minutes. It was. It was a feeling of that. That it, it gave me vintage bear football vibes there. Yeah, I was. I was sitting back like, okay, he's led a, f- a couple of good drives in the second half. I believe that he can get down the field and score one more time. And what does he do? Throws a pick to. I believe it was Gary on Conley, but don't quote me on that. It was like it's like when the when when man was making covers exclusive to what cities they were that uh, that they were selling, and they made one for the Bears, and I was. This is like a couple, a few years ago. I was like, you know what they should have? They should have Jay Cutler finishing his motion and then the Packer just intercepting him because that's just something that all Bears fans all know way too well. Yeah, there Did was you guys... a time where Charles Woodson was the best wide receiver for the Bears. It, it happened. Oh, my goodness. Did you guys hear uh, John Gruden's speech after the game? Hilarious. He said, that's the most fun I've ever had in my entire career as an NFL head coach. It was yeah, such a was John Gruden room? thing to say. Like, I... He just, it was so, it was a weird game. Like, I felt uncomfortable watching it. I don't know why. I it, just, it made me question all that as well. Right. Fully. Like, I just, I, I felt like I didn't know anything anymore. Like, it was just, it's like, it's the Raiders, man. You got to beat the Raiders. But, I mean, granted, they did have Chase Daniels starting. And then everybody who was out there was saying, Chase Daniels better than Mitchell Trubisky. It's like. He's more mobile. Right. He can do everything. Yeah. It's like, come on. No. He's a backup. Why do you think that? It That, no. I. I think the most surprising thing that happened this week is that you're more fired up about that than I am. I just, I went in there, like, if I had money on this game and I felt comfortable, you know, picking them and then the guy who, you know, won with Oakland, like, I'd be really upset. And I feel like a lot of people did that. They're like, you know what? Bears are winning without question. That was very disappointing. I, I, I was really sad to see you that week because it was just everything that we thought we knew was just out the window. And that, for you. that was crazy. I do real quick want to talk about the Saints. Yeah, I was going to say, like, hey, let's <laughs> yeah. why we move to the Saints now. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater is undefeated so far as their starter. The one thing that makes this, I think it's an uphill battle for both teams at this point. The one thing that makes it that way for the Saints is the loss of Alan Kamara. Oh, and yeah. That's, that, it, he's not they don't have Ingram yet. anymore. He's, yeah, he's not out yet. He's questionable. But they did sign Frazier running back Zach Zenner oh. a couple days ago. So. Who? 
They're back. He was a, um, a, like a third string back for the Lions. If oh. he was back. But regardless, Latavius Murray and Zach Zenner are probably going to be like the top two in that backfield. I don't think they have someone else. So it's going to be interesting to see how this works. Latavius Murray has been getting game time, but right. Zach Zenner was just signed off the free agent pile. So it's going to be interesting. I think this offense is going to run through Teddy Bridgewater and Michael Thomas for most of the game. And so all you need to do is just basically double-team Thomas and if, yeah, stop send, their offense. Send Taha Clinton-Dix over the top and cover him with Kyle Fuller. Whatever you do, do not put Prince Amukamara <laughs> on Michael Thomas. If you do, <laughs> I will go to Soldier Field, Matt Nagy, and I will strangle you. They like to keep Patrick Kyle has Fuller, his phone number. They like to keep Kyle Fuller on, I believe it's the right side of the field. I believe on the offense, Michael Thomas plays on the same side, typically, that Kyle switch. Fuller does. So they might switch. But I think I think it'll be fine as long as you send a safety over the middle to help um, Amukamara if he is covering Thomas. I think the Bears should be fine. I mean, who else is their other best receiving option? Ted Ginn catches ten percent of passes thrown as well. Right, Taysom Hill. Yeah, so he could start a quarterback. I think too. it'll Please. be an interesting game. I was worried coming into this just simply because of the Saints' offense, but without Kamara, I am feeling less worried. All right, the Bears are a three-point favorite. Round the table. Pick your winner. Feeling ambitious. Give a score. As you know, I don't because I'm wrong all the time. Last week, I got all my picks wrong, and that's sad. But I'm going with the Bears. Call me a homer all you want. I think this offense will improve having Trubisky back. It's going to hurt having Long and Hicks out for the foreseeable future. But that defense has still played well. I'm just going to ignore the existence of that Oakland game. Bears win. I'm not giving a score. Michael, you're next. All right, I'm going to say the Bears win this game for two reasons. The first reason I'm going to say, A, because Kamara's out. And the other thing that I want to say here is that the Bears also are at home. And I think that when they're at home, they they play very, very well. They got the crowd behind them. I know that sounds kind of cliche and silly, but I think it's a truth. Like, it is hard to play at Soldier Field. Like, that's something that I think a lot of people think it, it just goes hard, unnoticed. It's hard to play at the spaceship. Right. I mean... I was going to talk about the crowd noise, but I also think <laughs> spaceship. But, yeah, it's it's crazy. I think that Chicago has the upper hand in this game because of that, and that's why I'm picking them. Yeah, I think the big hinge for Chicago here is the offensive line. I think Long being out might not hurt them. He wasn't playing very well to start. This offensive line needs to be able to hold up. Trubisky's a more mobile quarterback than Daniel, so that will help, but they have not been opening up the holes they need to for David Montgomery. They right. have not been able to get him going, and they need to be able to do that. Now, that being said, I'm looking at our picks sheet here, and the last three times we have picked the same team, it's been 0-3. Right. Also, I would just like to flex here, Patrick went 0-4 last week, the second team today. I admitted. Didn't I, I, I admitted admit my right, fault, though? okay? I, I did it week I five, could have sworn so. I had one pick at least right in here. Look, I, I should have had that Lions upset. We'll get to that later, <laughs> but I should have had that upset. I would not have gone 0-4. Could have, should have, would have. Anyways, I, this was a tough game for me to pick, but... I never want to pick against the Bears because I don't want to be rooting against them just for the sake of my picks. So I'm choosing Chicago in this game. Maybe if only for that reason. Boo. Boo. <laughs> be se- ambitious. Our, our second game here, Seahawks and Ravens. The Ravens are a team that's just kind of puzzled me in the last few weeks. They don't look like themselves. They don't look like that high-powered offense that we really said in the beginning of the season, like, you know How what? How dare you say that about no, Lamar Jackson? I will say that. How dare you say that? I think that offense... Still looks pretty good. I mean, the bar was set really high. Excuse me. The bar was set really high after the first two weeks of the season. 
But I think they've still they haven't lived up to those expectations. But they've been playing fine. Mark it's, Andrews is still having a great season. What, 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 what makes me what makes back, me question though. this team is that Bengals game, and that makes me yeah. uncertain. That, that makes me really. It doesn't make me feel good saying, you know what, I think the Ravens are going to win this game. And it's I mean, just not something I think. I mean, they played well enough to win that game, didn't they? They did, but it was it was a lot closer than what it should have been. Yeah, I mean, again, coulda, shoulda, woulda. If you played well enough to win the game, you played well enough to win the game. I don't know if this, I don't know if I'm ready to call the Seahawks one of the best teams in the NFC right now, and I don't know I if am. I'm ready to call the Ravens one too. of the best teams in the AFC right now. Okay, let me just break this down here. Okay. Baltimore came out of the season, the first game they played against the Miami Dolphins, and they just went on a tear. I think it was 59-10 was the score. And I remember we were picking over-unders in that game while it was going on. It was just insane. And I said, you know what? Everybody agreed the Ravens are going to be that team that goes 13-3. and is going to be f-. And then they just started, you know, teams that play the Dolphins, we have a tendency to think that. And now it's kind of like, okay, you know, Baltimore, maybe 11-5. You know, it's just like... The thing that I think is very, very important here is, is again, Lamar Jackson, okay? Other than Cam Newton, I mean, dual threat, I mean, he is one of the best right now, and I think he's going to get better. So I think as of right now, you got to give it some time here. I think Baltimore-Seattle is going to be close. I, I like the point that you brought up about the Bengals, but we all kind of have those games where – you know, we, we have kind of like a fluke. You know, we play against a bad team and then, you know, it, it's kind of close and we, you know, we get down on ourselves because we beat them, you know, just barely. But I just think that Lamar Jackson still has that opportunity um, here. I have the quarterback playing on the other side of Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson on the phone. He would like to talk to you about your disrespect and not mentioning okay. him. Okay. All right. The best I, dual threat quarterbacks said, in the league. I said the best. Did I, did I say the best? I well, you apologize. Said, you said Lamar Jackson. One and of the best. Cam Newton. One of the best. And no, I, I mean, Russell yeah, Cam Wilson. Newton is, Can't go back on it. I mean, okay. I, Russell Wilson, personal apology from Mike Lee Mommy at the hot corner. But I want to say that, okay, Wilson's great. And I think, you know, we had this conversation. Russell Wilson has been the spark on the Seahawks, but I think he's the only spark on the Seahawks. What is this team without Russell Wilson right now? Okay, now I have Chris Carson and Tyler Lockett on the phone, and they would like to talk Okay, to okay. Chris Carson has been playing great this Michael, season. You're, you're Tyler Lockett right has no, been a great season. No, Russell Wilson has been the drawer-up of this 5-1 Seattle Seahawks. I, I get it. Sure, I mean, They've been good. Lockett and Carson have been good. But I feel like the Seahawks win only 50% of their games right now with that. I think Wilson I mean, has been the key orchestrator. Of that offense. Yeah, right I'm not now. disagreeing with that. He's the engine that makes this whole offense go. But Chris Carson is has been playing great. Tyler Lockett's been playing great. We always talk about how the best wide receiver Russell Wilson has is Doug Baldwin, who turns it on for like half the season every year. Tyler Lockett has been playing consistently well for six weeks, and I don't see it just stopping out of nowhere. I mean that's my main point. He's been here. great. But the other thing is is that Wilson has a tendency to make these guys, you know, look like superstars just because he's just a natural talent at it. And I feel like, you know, a couple years ago we saw, I forget who the, the name of the player, but I, it was working at a foot locker. And then all of a sudden now he's playing in a super bowl and, um, Wilson made that entire receiving core look like superstars. I feel like Wilson does that a lot. He can take an average team and make them great. And he can take average guys and make them great. And I think that's more credit to Wilson than it is to his receiving core. Granted it is a two way street, you know, it goes both ways, but I feel like Wilson right now has been, you know, the engineer of a very, very powerful train that I think is going places. Yeah, I think you can, like you said, it's a two-way street. A great quarterback makes their receivers look great, and great receivers make their quarterbacks right. look great. 
Right. Seattle is a three-point favorite in the game. I'm picking Seattle. No score because I suck at it. So, Michael, you're next. Definitely picking Seattle in this game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be fun. Two great dual-threat quarterbacks. Once again, Russell Wilson, personal apology. Um, but, again, I think Seattle-Baltimore is going to be fun, but I'm picking Seattle the winner. I First off, I don't want us to have a clean sweep in two games. Second off, I really think that Baltimore is going to come into this game and they're going to be fighting. And I think... I don't know. The defense is what it really boils down to because I think both these offense, you can say they're on the same level. I don't know if I necessarily trust Baltimore's defense, but I'm also not sure if I necessarily trust Seattle's. So I'm going to take Baltimore in this game, although it's a real just toss-up for me. Flip a coin. All right, a final game here. Vikings and Lions. Lions got robbed. They ruined my upset pick, which would have been a great upset pick, too, if it actually happened. But You know, it was a great upset pick. Steelers against the Chargers. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Real Congrats. quick. The I'm guy, so happy for you. The guy that made the ke- touchdown catch in the Super Bowl off of Russell Wilson, by the way, Chris Matthews, worked at a Foot Locker. Chris Just Matthews say sounds that. like a guy who worked at a Foot Locker. Yeah. Caught a Super Bowl pass, or caught a Super Bowl touchdown from Russell Wilson. See, made what, him look what, great. What, what the Lions have to do to beat the Vikings, I believe this all the way, is you have to stop Delvin Cook. Bears did it, they won. You have to force Kirk Cousins to throw. Now, granted, he threw against the Eagles. I was going to say, and he <laughs> did you not threw see very last well week? against the Eagles? But He's, the Eagles' defense is not exactly a team. I'm like, ooh, I'm so scared. Well, of. the run, run defense is. Yeah, and I think that Jinx, by the way, Michael, and I think <laughs> that the reason I think the Vikings may have come into that game with the game plan to have Delvin Cook ready, obviously, because the guy's a superstar, but also to keep that secondary guessing because that secondary has been destroyed by injuries this season. Right. So I think they were ready to be like, hey, Diggs, we're going to get you involved. Hey, Thielen, be ready because our primary way of moving the offense down the field is going to be passing this game because this right. secondary is just absolutely decimated. Yeah, and um, I, I don't want you guys to throw me out of the studio, but I'm going to make a pun here again. Oh, no. um, I got a feeling that the Minnesota Vikings... Can again? <laughs> is that possible to do? <laughs> I got a... Th- I got a feeling that the Minnesota Vikings are going to have to work with the pass instead of the rush here because I think that, you know, give the Lions credit. I think that the run defense has been pretty good, not as good as the Eagles, but I think Kirk Cousins is going to be forced to pass again. And I would say that if it's anything like last week, but I think the Lions secondary is better than the Eagles secondary. I think a lot of teams are better than the Eagles secondary right now. But I think that Kirk Cousins has shown that, hey, I'm still here. I have these opportunities, but Kirk Cousins is one of the most erratic football players in the NFL. He'll throw for 105 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Then the next game, we'll throw four touchdowns, 405 yards, zero interceptions, and be like a god amongst the league. So we never know what's going to happen. We don't know what kind of Kirk Cousins is going to show up at Ford Field, but we do know that there isn't a chance that he goes out there with Diggs and Thielen and has a great game. And I think that that's a possibility. Grant, I think the Lions secondary, as I said, is better than the Eagles secondary, but I think Kirk Cousins is not as awful as everybody once thought. I think if they stop Delvin Cook, he does have the option to throw, and I think that that can still be dangerous, as we saw the previous week. And, and I, I think it can be, but I think that the Lions, I think their uh, their their corners are better than the Eagles. Right, the Eagles, they're they're running on they're. Their secondary is running on, on on fumes right now. Right. Yeah, it's been hard for me to finally turn the corner on the Lions. I don't think I did it until just this past week, seeing them play tough against the Packers. And I think it really just goes... The NFC North is 
probably the toughest division in football this season to be in. That's why we said earlier the Bears have an uphill battle. I think every team, the Packers have are the front runners in that division, and every other team is kind of facing an uphill battle. So these divisional games between another opponent in that division is going to be the ones that you need to be able to grab. And Detroit lost one, they're going to try and grab another one. Okay, the Lions, I just want to make a statement about last last week because they probably should have won that game. I mean, I, I, know, I don't like. I never like to talk about probably. bad officiating on this show because I think that that's a cheap shot at officials. I don't like to get into that. But Booger McFarland had a point. Like they called, I think it was two um, illegal use of hands, hands to the face, that were not illegal use of hands, hands to the face on um, the Lions, and they, and they were not. It wasn't anywhere near the face. David Bakhtiari was, I think, the um, uh, the the uh, beneficiary of that. I forget who the defensive tackle was, I believe but believe it was Trey Flowers. Um, right, yeah, Trey Flowers. And he had, Joe Tessitore pointed out, he said, he has never been called for that in his entire career, and it's happened twice tonight. And I think that that's very suspicious. But I think that if those two calls go, or don't happen, period, like those two calls don't happen, I think the Lions win this game, unquestionably. I mean, you know my thoughts on this. I'm always, I'm, right. I understand officiating has been banned in the NFL this season. It's something that does need to be addressed. But I never call officiating the reason why a team... No, I'm not saying that they were point-blank the reason. I think the Lions had a lot of opportunities in this game. One was a drive that started on Green Bay's 26 after a turnover, and they kicked a field goal. And they really, their offense kind of stalled after their first three drives. And I think if you want to beat the Packers, you need to be present. You need to be attacking for all four quarters. And the Lions just weren't doing that. Their offense stalled, and their defense was able to create opportunities that the offense didn't take advantage of. I understand. I'm just, I'm not saying that they... You know, officiating was the you know determinant of this game. I'm just saying the Lions, you know, they lost this game. But I, I just want to point out, without those two calls, the game changes drastically. And I think they battled and they showed they are a a respectable team in this league. For sure, and I think that's something that I took a while to um to recognize. But they are a good team, and this division just got a whole lot tougher. All right, Vikings are favored by point and a half. So, in that case, I really consider it a pick'em game. I'm going to go with the Lions. I like how they played against the Packers. I like how they played throughout the entire season. I like how they played against the Chiefs. I think this team is good, and it feels weird to me saying that because the Lions for the longest time to me have just been irrelevant. And I think they'll play good. I think they'll win. No square predictions as always. Lions win this game. Exact same thing. I'm going to say the Lions win. (laughs) I am... We're you guys are on the same. Um, I don't like it. I, I don't like being on the same page. It's so weird. Like, that means weird game. For, yeah, for every game this week, you guys or are on the versa. same page. Right. I think I. I after all, I just said singing the praises of Detroit. I'm still taking the Vikings in this game. I just think that the Vikings sense that kind of like narrative that I bought into that there was going to be some disarray in that offense. It right. just hasn't happened. And I think they may still feel like they have a they, there's a fire lit under them. They have something to prove that hey, this is the guy we paid eighty million dollars guaranteed for three years. This is the guy that we believe can come out there and win football games for us. Look at these great receivers we've given him. I think Minnesota still thinks they have something to prove, and I think that's going to be able to drive them over in this game. I'm taking Minnesota. All right, very quickly here, our upset picks of the week. I'm going to go first. I'm not proud of it. It's not really that big of an upset. I have. Th- the Falcons over the Rams. Oh my God, that was mine. And do we all have the same upset? Do we really this week? all have the same upset? I was going to say the oh, Rams no. lost three straight. Uh, I think the Falcons have kind of a get right game here. 
They're, this is not good. They're at home. I also don't appreciate you saying like that this. that wasn't that much of an upset because I thought it was going to be huge. I, but I, I you know, when you, look, when you look at the when you look at my off. feelings are hurt. I want to note that this is the first time even two of us have chosen the same upset, and all three of us chose the same upset. I don't like this. Hey, I got a parallel to that. Please don't kick me out of here. Oh no. My Jets, my over Patri- Jets over Patriots. Jets over Patriots. It's an upset. Okay, I mean, it's an upset. Yeah, is it going to happen? No. Yeah, obviously not. I'm just saying that that's well, an alternative. Okay, I want to play devil's advocate here because I didn't pick them because I don't think it's going to happen. But it's an upset. Sam Darnold had his first game back against the Cowboys, and they looked they looked fine. They looked pretty good. I think that. It's not right to just count them out entirely, but I do think that the Patriots are going to take this game. I do think maybe there's a chance that it's close, but I think it needs to be an everything-goes-right game for the Jets. It's going to be an interesting game, I think, with Sam Darnold playing. I think it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting, but the Patriots are the number one team in football right now. Right. I think they'll win easily. No, I'm just saying that when you when you state upset, like it's not supposed to happen. It's not what we think is going to happen. That's the whole point of it being an upset. Yeah, but also the whole point of this is to be right. Not really. I mean, I'm feeling I'm feeling dangerous. No, I'm Baker Mayfield. Take Miami. Okay. okay, I'm just saying that you're, you're making a you're making a parallel to the quarterback who has the most turnovers in the league. So right. Watch your step here. I, I, <laughs> that's why I said I don't think it's going to happen. But it's that upset pick. I'm not going to just if we all pick the same team like that's not good. Okay, we we will we'll go to break here in a second. But I just want to make sure I have this right. Are you taking the Jets as your upset? or Are you taking the Falcons? I'm gonna take the Jets. I'm feeling dangerous this wow. week. Wow. All right. All right. Right off the break, we come back. The final word. You listen to Hot Corner on KCU 80.1 FM and KCU.FM. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Tune in to Triple Threat on KCOU 88.1 FM. Catch Kyle Jones. And so then he said, all right, well, I can't wear my helmet. I'm not playing. Chance Sticklin. I think that Bama every single year is the best college football team. And Cole Toosie. If Trubisky can get it done, the Bears will win a Super Bowl. He's the key. Tune in every Thursday morning from 11 to noon, only on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCU.FM, or on the TuneIn app. You don't want to miss it. Check out my new time machine. Does it work? Hit the button. Hey, it's Napoleon. Check out the future. Hey, you have a nice house. Why don't I? You didn't save any money, buddy. If only there was a way I could go back in time and fix that. Yeah. Save something for the future. Put away a few bucks. Feel like a million bucks. For free ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. When you hear that, you know what it means. It's time for the final word. As you know, I always pick a weird sporting event, competition, or story to talk about for my part. So, last week, we were in Alaska for the Fat Bear competition. This week, we're in England. And I feel that a majority of my stories come from either Russia, Florida, Australia, or England. All of those places 
have a whole bunch of weird sports or competitions going on, like, all the time. This time, we're going to the great town of Southwick, England, a town on the south part of England for the World Conquer Championships. For those of you who do not know what the great sport of conquer is, I'll tell you, it's this. It's between two people. Both have a horse chestnut, or a conquer as it's called, attached to a string and take turns striking each other's conquer until one breaks. Why this is a sport? I have no idea. Hi. But, wait, I'm not done yet okay. here. The winner with the conquer that isn't broken wins. I mean, they do some weird scoring thing, and it do, I think it's like a best of three. It's very weird what they do. I have a question. Yes. I don't Fire know if away. maybe you said this, but what is a conquer? It's, it's a horse chestnut. Um, I don't know. I have so many questions next. I don't know where to start. In fact, I don't think we have enough time to unpack that a lot further. This year's championship had some problems because of rain, but it didn't stop it from happening. The contestants played on these elevated structures over the playing field, and it came down to Jasmine Tetley and Andy Moore. After a hard-fought match, Jasmine Tetley came out as the winner. From all of us here at the Hot Corner, we congratulate you on your world championship for the Conkers. Congratulations. Congratulations, Jasmine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very proud of you. <laughs> All right. I guess that's my cue. Um, so I got a pretty interesting story here. Um, my hero of the week is going to go um, to two people, DeAndre Hopkins and his mother, uh, Sabrina Greenlee. Um, this is an interesting story here because there was something, uh, Sabrina Greenlee, DeAndre Hopkins' mom was attacked. Um, someone threw acid on her eyes and she's had uh, more than 20 surgeries and she's been uh, blind for a couple of years and um, the story w goes along the lines of how DeAndre Hopkins has essentially been an inspiration to her and she's been an inspiration to him back and forth um, and it's been it's a pretty incredible story here but I'm just going to read you um, the end of it that's very very important uh, it goes the thought no longer plunges her into existential despair it goes back to when I got the courage up when he was in junior high, she explains about DeAndre. I remember him saying, I just want you to be there. So if I'm there and I'm present and I'm alive, that's ultimately all he wants. He doesn't care that I can't see. So she goes to every home game, sitting in the same spot, doing her best to conjure up a mental image of DeAndre with the help of her daughter's words. And he visualizes his mother too. I'm always picturing her whenever I make a catch. Her reaction, he says. And sometimes when I drop a ball, I'm like, darn it. I let my mama down. As a boy, he told himself that a catch could change his family's luck. As a man, he has already delivered on that promise. And if his team happens to be driving toward the end zone where his mother sits, he knows that she's waiting and that every play brings him a little bit closer to her. Just an incredible story by Mina Kynes of ESPN. Very, very inspirational. And uh, for all of us out here, um, just, just hope you're inspired by that because that's incredible. That is a great story. As you guys know, I like to take, similar to Michael, but not exactly the same thing. I like to choose just a feel-good story from somewhere in the sports world, typically comes in the world of high school sports. But regardless, today my story comes to you from, and I can say this with experience now for the first time, the wonderful city of Aurora, Illinois. Close to where we live. Close I've to been where there. we're from. It's, it's about half an hour away. It comes to a high school that our high school has actually played before, Matea Valley High School. They're good and, at everything. They're good at literally every sport. Yes, they are. There is a sophomore there, and his name is Zake Stretter, and he is a sophomore football player at Matea. He is part of the football team. And last year this happened, but he um, recently wrote a sport, uh, a story. It, w it was actually him writing. It said Out Sports, and it also said SB Nation. So I want to credit both of those because I don't know which one it actually was because there was like an SB Nation tag, and then they're a part of it. Okay, yeah. So that's what I figured, but I just wanted to give credit to both just in case. 
Jake is openly gay. He came out last year. And he has, as he was, I, I just, I can't do it justice, so I'll just quote it the way he wrote it. I have quite a bit written here. It says, as I was writing the story, I knew that I had to get some photos of me playing football and ask my teammates if any of them would be in a picture with me. I put off asking for days. Though I am on the team, it's still a bit awkward when you are a 15-year-old gay guy. I figured that just sending a text in our team group chat would be the best way to ask. I had never had an actual verbal converse conversation with any of my teammates about being gay. I was apprehensive and hoped a couple of them wouldn't mind. But, but one by one, my teammates said yes. Soon it was the whole team, and I felt all the fear and anxiety I dealt with in the last year melt away. It was worth it to get to this point with my teammates that, was that I was just one of the guys. I am not the gay guy. I'm just a football player. And I think I love that kind of um, connection between football players. I played when I was younger. I'd never played in high school, but when I was way younger. And something that the coach always drove home is that these guys are your brothers. They are, you guys are a family, and whether you like them or not, they're your brothers. And you see that connection when you see this team come around Jake and embrace him regardless of anything. He's just, like he said, he's just another football player. And I just, I love those stories. When you see something like that, everyone come together and the team just band together. It's really a touching story. Incredible. I also want to um, put a parallel to that here. Like, remember in the movie, The Blind Side, right, where Michael Orr and his mom says, he says, this team is your family, regardless of race or sexuality or anything like that. It's like, you know, we all, or the football team, it's like they're all brothers, regardless. Like, they can oversee anything. They're their family. They're, they have a bond together. And that's just... It's incredible because it highlights such importance we see in all these stories of these these inspirational um, individuals, young men, and, and in some cases, women who can play, have played football before as well. A couple of your stories have been about women too, which is incredible. But yeah, a lot of this is just, it's unbelievable. It really is. The, the family and the bond that, that comes together with the football team. And with that, that is the end of another episode of The Hot Corner. Make sure to follow us on our social media page at Hot Corner Sports. You can follow yours truly at Patrick Carrion. Michael Amami at Imami Michael and Logan at the Logan Franz. Also, make sure to check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcast services under the name The Hot Corner. We hope you have a wonderful Friday and a great weekend. We will see you next week, same place, same time. This has been a Hot Corner signing off. But it's July, getting paid by the hour.